Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity, Session 3, Absent Father Wound, Part 2. The speaker is Bill Howard. What every son needs and wants from his father. And again, men, we're covering this wound issue, and we talked about some of these wounds are like surgeon's cuts, and some of them are like getting hit with an axe. And the father wound is a bigger wound. It's more like an axe cut uh, because it really can pierce the soul of a son when a father uh, does or does not do what he needs to be doing with his boys. And uh, we all are fallen creatures. We all aren't perfect, so I don't know of a perfect dad in the room. But there are some who perhaps are more strategic than others. What every son needs and wants from a father. Guys, listen. In the scripture, the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 6, it says that the glory of sons is their fathers. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. The glory of a son is his daddy. And every boy comes into the world at birth given to him by God in a, in a positive account balance for a hero status to his father. And so every boy especially when they're younger, grow up with the idea that my dad is the man. And every boy feels that for a while until that dad can either invest in that already positive balance he's got in his son's life or if he's passive or irresponsible or neglectful or he's just gone, he begins to take away he starts a debit account into the heart of his son so that when that son gets to about 10 11 12 that boy goes you know what <laughs> my dad is not all that i thought he was he may figure things out about you or maybe you did about your dad so what does a boy need well i've got four of them myself and um, here's what i've realized there's two things basically invisibly written on the forehead of every boy, really every child. And here are the two questions, guys. First of all, am I loved? Second question, who's in charge? So every son kind of is asking that. Am I loved? And am I loved by the one who's in charge? Now, is dad in charge or not? But if he is, does he love me? And so we all kind of have this sense in our heart wanting those questions to answer. And the one that answers it is dad for a boy. And so I uh, recall an uh, article that was referring to a son and a father's journal. And the, the father kept a journal, the son kept a journal. And the father said this in his journal, uh, very basic. Went fishing, caught nothing, day wasted. Because he went with his son. But this is the way he referred to the day. Went fishing, caught nothing, day wasted. This is what the son, after being with his dad on that day of fishing, this is what the son said. Went fishing, spent time with dad, best day of my life. You see, oftentimes a son will see and want things that if a dad is not careful, will miss. 
Because the way boys spell love from their father, you know how it is, guys? T-I-M-E. Time. That's how a boy spells love. Uh, it's not quality, it's quantity. It's just being there and creating opportunities. So what are the three things we can do? First of all, number one here, guys, is time together with his dad. First thing a dad can give a son is time together with his dad. And that's time that builds positive experiences that create lifelong memories in your son's brain. Uh, because these fond memories are like money in a boy's emotional bank account. I can tell you right now, I can tell you on both, I can count on both hands every time I spent with my dad. Now what's amazing is I can recall every time. What's amazing also is I can only count them on two hands. And I was with him for 18 years. So in 18 years, I've got less than 10 really great memories. And it wasn't that my dad wasn't a good guy. He just was passive, presently passive. Um, I'll tell you more about him in a second. And so what you can realize, guys, is that with your boys, a 30-second investment can have a 30-year impact. I remember one time with my uh, four boys, I went upstairs and my youngest, Brooks, was crying because a uh, thunderstorm came through and it was lightning and thundering. And you know that down here it can get pretty violent, can't it? And Brooks was crying. And I went upstairs and saw all four of my boys, Brooks sitting on the bed and my oldest son, Samuel, with his arm around his little brother, uh, comforting him and saying something like this as I walked in the room. Say, uh, Brooks, I remember when these storms would come through. I was afraid too. And I remember hiding under the bed. Well, I walked in and I heard that. And I went, whoa. Now, here's the thing, guys. Sam was probably about eight years old when he was comforting his younger brother. But when I heard that with, from my eight-year-old's mouth, here's the thing. I did not know that. I never knew that my son hid under the bed during thunderstorms. And so what happened is, when I heard that, I remember in my heart going, dang, I missed it. So I went over and I sat down next to him and put my arm around Samuel. I said, buddy, hey, listen, I had no idea that's how you felt. And I said, but you know what? If I knew that's where you were during a thunderstorm, you know where I would have been? He goes, where, Dad? Under the bed with you. Tears just started filling his eyes. Now, he's talked to me about that since then. The only reason I'm telling you story, I don't remember it other than he's brought it back up. 30-second investment, 30-year impact. Tie together with your boys or with your dad. It's important, okay? Uh, second thing. A son needs from his father. He needs direction from his father. He needs direction from his dad. Why? Because men operate better when we see the whole picture versus just guessing. Because if a guy's just guessing and he's wrong, there's not a man in this room that likes to be embarrassed 
or likes to feel like a fool or a failure. In fact, most men will never try for the fear of failing. But it's not failing itself that men fear. I'm convinced of this because I've seen it in my boys. It's fear of failing in front of somebody. And I think this is what I've told my boys. In other words, every boy grows up wanting to please his daddy. And, if, and, and as dads, we can be so controlling and so oriented, perhaps, even to success, if a son cannot measure up, he then will not try for fear of failing somebody. Does that make sense? So I've told my boys, they said, hey, guys, listen, I would rather you try and fail than not try at all. Try and fail than not try at all, because you're free to fail. But here's the deal. You're not free not to try. Right? I mean, think about it, guys. As a man, is there things in your life that you've grown up doing that you wished you would have done but didn't? Because why? It's afraid. And so that's where dads can come in and we can give our sons courage to do and try things and then help them saying, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what you can expect. Let me give you some instruction and direction in life that gives boys courage to do things perhaps they would never do on their own. And this direction also involves uh, a dad's instruction. And if you remember in Ephesians 6, guys, it says that a father should not provoke his child to wrath, but with discipline and instruction, raise your son up unto the Lord. And so what a boy needs is discipline and instruction, which is this idea of direction. And when we do that, uh, let me just give you a couple things you can do with your children. Uh, if you've got younger boys, uh, if they're around 12, 13, 14, there's a thing you can do called a purity covenant. And this, uh, it's something I can get you. I'll have it when we get into this father-son session later on down the road. But it's a place where you can take your son for a weekend and explain to him what's happening to his body. He's getting hair in funky places. His voice is starting to crack. His muscles are getting bigger. He's starting to really like girls. What's all that about? Right? Let me ask you, did your dad teach you any of that stuff? Really? Did he teach you? How many, how many of your, your dad taught you that? Just raise your hand couple of you. Didn't it feel good? Or was it weird? I don't know. Awkward. What? Very awkward? Yeah. Well, here's the deal. The older you get, you'll like it more. Because you're a blessed man that your father did do that. Only 1% of children hear about sex from their dads. But, but it's a very huge issue for a man, is it not? This whole sexual part of our life. Boys need to have it explained, not from their friends, not from the media, not from the culture, but from their dads. But anyway, this purity covenant is a weekend you can go and take away and explain to your children, your sons, and if you have a daughter, your wife to your children, your, your daughter, but here's the deal. Explain to your sons about the puzzle of life. Because life often is a puzzle, and if a boy doesn't know and have direction on how the pieces fit, 
and how he's supposed to relate to a girl and what are girls like and how do boys relate to girls and peer pressure and masturbation and temptation and pornography and addictive various issues out there. If a boy doesn't have direction, he's going to be bumping around and fall into one of those pits and find himself in a snare. Now, he may do it even after you give him direction. But our responsibility before God is to give our kids direction. That's what boys need. Okay? And, uh, by the way, in one of these sessions with your son for the weekend, one of the things you do is you get a puzzle. I'm just giving you an example of what you do. You get a jigsaw puzzle and you throw, you give him one and then you take one and his does not have the box top. You kind of hide the box top, but you put all both pieces, his pieces, your pieces down, and you're facing each other, but you hide your box top over there so you can see what it is you're putting together, and you have a race. Who's going to put our puzzle together first? And your son will try to put his together, and it's a race between him and you, and there's not a boy alive that want to beat his dad, right? So he's trying to beat you, and then you are beating him, though, because your picture starts to come together more clearly. Why? Because you see what you're putting together, and he doesn't. And so the illustration is you stop and all of a sudden you realize, you go, I won. How did it make you feel, son, when you were behind? I was frustrated. I felt behind. I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. See, that's what a boy will feel like if he didn't have direction. I said, well, let me tell you, the reason why I won is not because I'm a better puzzle builder. It's because I have a box top. That's part of a parent. I've lived longer than you. I see the picture better than you. That's why God put me in your life, to help you put the puzzle pieces together. Does that make sense? So that you won't feel discouraged, hopeless, despaired, but you will have a sense of direction and hope in a future. That's just one deal you do. But anyway, that's a great thing to help your sons, okay? To help give them direction. All right. Lots of other things to be said. We'll talk about that more later on when we talk about a, a man and his sons. Third thing a boy needs from his dad is conviction. Is conviction through his dad's modeling. Now, guys, if you ever read your Bible, you'll discover there's an interesting guy named John the Baptist who was an amazingly passionate human being and created quite a following. But here's the deal, guys. Men did not go to see John the Baptist because he was wishy-washy. Men went to see John the Baptist because he was a man who believed something. And it created a tremendous curiosity for a lot of people. And we're not just saying, guys, that for us uh, to have convictions, but we need to be living our convictions. Because today... Many men will fall for anything because they stand for nothing. Right? What do we stand for? What do you believe? What would your son say my dad believes in? Now, here's the thing. He's going to answer it by how you live and I live my life. That's how he's going to answer it. It doesn't matter what you say. Your words will become weightless if they're not rooted out in your actions. 
So it's conviction through modeling. And that's what your boys will begin to see. So here's the deal, men. Taking your kids to church and you not taking it seriously means nothing to them. If Jesus Christ isn't real in your life. If you talk to your kids about purity, but every time a good-looking girl walks by and you go, whoa, and they see you, then it's not going to mean a whole lot when you talk about it. Uh, if you uh, read your Bible, or if you don't read your Bible, but tell your kids to, it's not going to mean a lot to them. Remember, there's a guy named Larry Crabb who was a uh, counselor, well-known psychologist, and he talked about uh, every evening during the weekday, right after dinner, a guy named Red Skelton came on TV. He was a comedian, he was hilarious, and um, he and his dad would enjoy some cookies and milk and watching Red Skelton. That was sort of their dessert. Time with dad watching Red Skelton. Well, one night, his dad wasn't there, and he yelled down the hall to his father. His father was still absent. He yelled again, dad didn't show up. So finally he got up out of curiosity, ran down the hall to tell his dad, dad, he's coming on, you gotta see him, he's hilarious. <coughs> And there he peered around the corner into his dad's den, and there his dad's face was buried in the Bible. And Larry Crabb said, at that moment, I realized my dad loves Red Skelton. But whatever's in that book, he loves more. Something captured his attention. And he said, that gave me a curiosity for the Word of God. And that's conviction. Conviction moves you to doing things. Uh, if you tell your son to love others while you disregard his mother, it's not going to mean a whole lot. Somebody once said the best thing a father can do for his children is love their mother. It starts there. And so these convictions, I remember my dad, he was a soil conservationist. He worked for the government. He was a scientist, really. He created grass seed up in the Northwest, especially when there was forest fires and uh, growing grass alongside interstates in the arid northwest. That's what my dad did. And uh, he was a really an engineer kind of a guy. Always had pins in his pocket. And a uh, very exact man, always, even when he wrote, he just was very purposeful in most things he did. But he also was a man of great conviction on certain things. One of them was just doing right. Because he said, one of the things you'll discover as a boy is that respect is something every man has, but once you give it away, it's really hard to get it back. I've never lost that thought. Respect. And part of it is just living within the framework of life. And so I remember uh, hunting with my father. Well, listen, uh, when you're duck hunting, anybody duck hunted or any kind of hunting, but especially duck hunting, it's really governed by time because ducks usually fly right before you can shoot and they fly like crazy right after you can't shoot. <laughs> and so there's this window of shooting a duck and it's the time. Well, my dad would not fire a gun until that clock would say 6.40 shooting time. You would not fire before that, and if it was 5.40 in the afternoon, the guns go away. It doesn't matter how many ducks are coming in on you. You can't shoot. 
Well, I remember uh, my brother and I were out hunting and dad wasn't there and there was these two Ross geese coming in when I was a kid. And they were rarely, uh, fairly rare and it's like they were beautiful and they were coming in. And the next day, goose season opened. The next day. But these geese were coming in to our decoys and they were coming straight at us. My brother and I were sitting down like this and these geese are coming in, all of a sudden they set. And if anybody's hunted, this is a beautiful experience. But these geese start going like that. And they're about ready to land right between me and the wall in front of us. And my brother and I, my dad's not there, but my brother and I go, what, look, look, get ready, shh. And all of a sudden I heard my brother's safety and his gun go click. And all of a sudden I went, I went click. <laughs> and he jumped up. And he put his gun up, I put my gun up, and those geese flared, and they took off. And no shot was fired. You know why? Because I remember Jake looked at me and my older brother, he said, there's no way if we shot that goose, where are we gonna take it? <laughs> it's not like we can go back and say, hey dad, look. Because tomorrow was goose season. Does that make sense? Conviction, creates change. It gives us a, a guy root, a, a rooting in life. That's what we do with our sons, with her conviction. And then fourthly, guys, what a son needs from his dad is a father's heart. Boy needs a father's heart. Um, to illustrate a dad who doesn't understand how to give a heart to a boy was a man who once during a counseling session said this to the counselor. I don't know what my wife did to screw my son up because I was never there. <laughs> That's a guy who doesn't get it, right? And so what a boy needs from his father is he needs love, he needs affirmation, he needs attention, and he needs affection from his daddy, um, which comes from hugging, Wrestling, tickling, hugging, even kissing him. Uh, I've got, again, I've got four boys, and uh, I kiss them all like crazy. Um, and I've always told them, I said, guys, about 12, 13, 14, when things start running through your body and things start changing in you, you're going to think of me in a different way, and you're, you're not going to like this. But I said, listen, I'm still going to kiss you. And so just the other day, I was sitting down at my chair and one of my boys, my oldest son, came up behind me and he put his arms around me, he came over, put his arms around me and he kissed me right, right on the cheek up from the back and just kind of hugged me and said, hey, Dad, how you doing? And I said, God, I said, I'm doing awesome, man. Right? Because that's what boys need. What they want, guys, remember in Malachi, it says that the culture will be restored when the hearts of fathers are restored to the hearts of their children. And so we need to love on our children and help them with their uh, affirmation in life. Now here's the deal, you may, have, you may be an athlete and your son's an artist. Maybe he's your only son, he's, an, he's different than you. And you want him to go play football or you want him to play basketball or whatever it is that you did, but he's not that way. Well, here's the thing, guys, is you, here's what you got to remember about your children. They're not yours. They're not mine. 
The Bible literally says they're a gift of God. As arrows are in the hands of a warrior, so are children one's youth. It's as blessed in the Bible as the man whose quiver is full of them. And so uh, here's the thing. God gives you these boys. And if you have multiple children, you'll realize that your kids are really different, right? And all of a sudden you go, whose kid is that when they do something goofy? Yeah, whose is that? Where'd he come from? <laughs> right? Because they're not yours in the first place. You, your kids are given to you on loan from God. And our job is to emulate as best we can who God is that they don't know yet in a way that they go, oh, I understand that there's a father. We'll talk about this when we suture this stuff up. And so in doing all that, guys, we give our kids our heart. Okay? So let's talk about six proactive remedies for the absent father wound. Six things then we can do, guys. Maybe as you heard those things, you went, wow, I didn't get that. Uh, if you didn't get it, uh, hopefully, if you've got sons, you can go, I'm going to go give it. But if you didn't get it, uh, you're probably wounded in one way or another. So the question is, what do you do with your dad? Uh, some of us in this room, our fathers are no longer living. Probably most of us, they still are. Um, if they are, let me give you some things you can practically do to suture this up. Uh, first one, point A here, uh, as we move toward this issue of the wound, point A says, choose to touch this wound carefully and responsibly. In other words, it's a very tender, fragile, delicate issue between you and your dad. Jeannie Roth said, it is not the wound that shapes our lives, but in fact, it is the choice we make as adults between embracing our wounds or raging against them the rest of our lives. So what you can do with the wound is bury the pain or you can use them as excuses to act foolishly. Uh, one of the questions I've always asked guys, have you ever fished? How many of you guys have fished in this room? Raise your hands. Okay, how many of you guys, keep your hands raised. How many guys did your dads take you fishing? Keep your hands raised. Okay, most of you probably, now how many don't fish? Raise your hands. How many have not fished? Did your dad take you fishing? How many did, who else did not fish? Did your dad take you fishing? Yeah. Here's what you discover. Most guys that go fishing or hunting or whatever it is, why do you do that? Well, because my dad did it with me. Well, have you ever fit? No, I never fished. Why not? Because you almost automatically hear this out of a man, because my dad never took me fishing. Did you get that? And so uh, what a guy can do then is go use it as an excuse. Well, I'm not, I didn't fish. Because, well, I got, part of me wants to go, well, go fishing. But see, he can use that as an excuse to not go fishing. You see what I'm saying? In other words, don't let what your dad didn't give you keep you from what you can go get. Because that's what we need to do when we start moving through this issue. So here's how we move through this, guys. First of all, first thing we do with our dads is we can act responsibly by choosing to forgive your father. Okay? Big deal here. Choosing to forgive your dad. 
came across an article, and uh, it was about, it was a Spanish story of a father and a son who had become estranged. And the son ran away, and the father set off to find him, and he searched for months to no avail. Finally, in a last desperate attempt to find him, the father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And the ad read this. Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up. <laughs> looking for forgiveness from their fathers. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, here's the deal. They're looking for forgiveness, but here's the deal. So is a father. And maybe your dad did something to you, probably out of ignorance. In other words, your dad, if you're hurt, your dad didn't wake up one day before you came into the world and sat at a restaurant and said, you know, when I get a boy, I'm going to really mess his mind up. I can't wait to screw my son's life up. He he probably didn't think that at all. He's probably thinking, this is incredible. I got a son. Right? So let me show you sort of, I think, a key to begin to move through this issue. And it's in your Bible. If you guys, by the way, you need to start bringing your Bibles. Okay? Uh, I know uh, we haven't done much of that yet, but we will, the more we go on, uh, kind of unpack some of these things. But in the Bible, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, there's a passage that I think really gives clarity with regard to how a son can understand a father. And probably, again, many of us in this room are a father, and you know as well as I do, uh, we can shoot some major air balls with our children, right? And what we need as a father is what? Forgiveness, really. We need forgiveness from our children. And so here's what it says here in the scripture uh, with regard to fathers uh, and God as a father and our earthly father. It said this, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much be rather subject to the father of spirits and live talking about God as a father? For they are earthly dads. I'm sorry, Hebrews 12 verse 9. Hebrews 12, verse 9. Uh, and then now we're in verse 10. For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time. And here's a phrase I want you to underline. They disciplined us for a short time, about 18 years. And here's the phrase. As seemed best to them. Didn't they? In other words, your dad did the best he could do with probably what he had. That's it. But God disciplines us always for our good. In other words, your dad may have done things that actually hurt you. But, it, but what I want you to see, guys, it probably wasn't his heart. He probably wasn't intending to do it. He just did it out of ignorance. Because he just did what seemed best to him. Maybe whatever he got. And so it's important to remember that because when you start thinking about your dad, if you've got some stuff that's in the past with your dad about what he didn't do or what he did do, and you're going and you're harboring in your heart some sense of resentment or bitterness, it's important to remember that he, he was not intentional. He's probably just ignorant. And so what you do with that is you can then at least gives us some understanding 
that we can uh, come to a place where your dad wasn't malicious and that you see your dad with his own deficits, that perhaps those deficits did hurt you. But here's what I tell you, you'll never be free until you come to that place with your dad to choose to forgive him. Uh, somebody once said unforgiveness is like taking a drink of poison and hoping the other person dies. That's unforgiveness. Lewis Mead said to forgive is to set a prisoner free only to discover the prisoner was you. Because you see, if your dad did or did not give you something and yet in your own heart you're harboring a resentment or a bitterness toward your father, you're the one in prison. Not him, at least not now. And so what we can do is go and forgive and you'll find a sense of release between you and your dad. So part of where you start, guys, is you choose to forgive your father. Robert E. Lee, after the Civil War, was invited to a party from a wealthy southern woman in Atlanta, Georgia. And as he came to her house and her plantation there in the backyard was a big old oak tree that was now dead because a Union cannonball hit it and killed it. And she took Robert E. Lee out back and she was complaining and moaning about the fact that the Union soldiers did that to her tree. And finally Lee heard her for about enough and he turned to her and said, Lady, cut it down. Get on with it. Quit complaining about the past. You got to get on with the future. And so that's what forgiveness does is it sort of cuts it down so you can start growing something new. Okay? With your dad. So it's a, it's a personal thing. But then uh, we'll talk about that you can actually go toward him. So second thing you can do here is by choosing to believe in God's justice. Because if you have a dad who actually wasn't ignorant, he was just flat evil. Maybe he abused you. Maybe he hit you, emotionally abused you. Maybe said things to you intentionally to denigrate you, to downgrade you. Uh, maybe he sexually did things. In other words, maybe there was a wickedness there, and in your heart you're going, yeah, that's easy to say that he was ignorant, but you don't know my dad. So what do you do with that as a man? Well, here's what you do. You choose to believe in God's justice. God's justice. In other words, in Romans chapter 12, the scripture says, uh, when you have someone who's done something against you, this is the phrase it uses, Leave room, the Bible says, if you're a follower of Christ, leave room for the wrath of God. That's the phrase. Don't take vengeance into your own, but leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, here's what you do. You ship all that stuff that your dad perhaps did to you to God's mailbox. And you say, hey, God, listen, you made them, you deal with them. You deal with them. And as an exercise, you may just take some of this stuff, write it down on a piece of paper, and literally put it in an envelope and then do away with it somewhere. Ship it to God. Say, hey, God, you take care of my father. And you know, you'll be amazed at what God will do when in your heart 
you entrust your dad to God that way if you've been hurt. Thirdly, what we can do, guys, is courageously seek reconciliation with your dad. So in other words, if you start exercising this idea of forgiveness, it's not just something between you and God. It's going to eventually have to be something between you and your dad. And this is the more risky, scary part. Because that's where you've got to move toward your dad. Because a lot of guys perhaps left home in an adversary relationship with their dad. And it's never been resolved over the years. And there was some act that breached the intimacy between a father and a son. And that act is still sitting there. Your dad knows it. You know it. And so here's what you got to do, guys. You got to go back. You got to get with your dad. You got to go back and you got to specifically recall the incident. There's a guy named Ken Canfield who really has spent a lot of time between uh, researching father-son relationships. And he talked about his dad. And he said uh, when his dad, by the way, uh, when he was leaving, he decided to go to college and his dad wanted him to stay home and stay in the city and work at the factory. And he just literally got so frustrated when his dad asked him to do that. When he was walking out the door to go to college, he said, Dad, he said, you're nothing but a dumb factory worker. And that was it. Walked out. Now, let me tell you, that phrase sat there between the two of them. It was a wall that was all of a sudden, it's like taking a big old brick and throwing it between the two of them. And a wall started to be built upon that one act that breached the intimacy. And so Canfield said, uh, years later, uh, I decided to go back and reconcile with my dad. And I remember we were sitting in the car. We were driving in the car, and my father was in the passenger seat. And I said, hey, Dad, do you remember when I left for college and I said to you that you're nothing but a dumb factory worker? And Canfield records that his father, while looking out the window, said yes, very distinctly, yes. See, it was still there. He said, Dad, I just want to tell you, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I just want to tell you, I admire you, I respect you, and I'm sorry I said that. You've been a great provisionary leader for our family. Will you please forgive me? And that took the wall down and created an intimacy again with her dad. Because you've got you to go do this, guys. You've got to go get your father. So if you've done something, you seek forgiveness. Um, second thing that you need then as you reconcile with your dad is you got to move toward number four here, which is the risk of asking for your father's love slash blessing or blessing, love or blessing. In other words, uh, for many men, you're wondering if your dad really loves you and you need to hear it. Because here's the deal. You, this is what I normally find with guys. Is guys will be, yeah, I know my dad loves me. I just never heard it. Now, let me tell you about my dad. That's my dad. As I mentioned, my dad, he was a very principled man. He was a man of respect. Everybody in the community respected him. He was an engineering kind of guy. He was big. He was 6'2". He weighed about 230. My older brother is about 6'2". and weighs about 250. I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> 
But uh, my dad was just a big guy. When I used to, when I was a kid and I'd see John Wayne, I'd literally think that my dad was like John Wayne. Because he carried himself in a very uh, powerful way. He was from Texas. He grew up in Texas. He was born in Texas and then played football at the University of Arkansas right before World War II. He was a center. And so there was a lot of things about my dad that, that was cool. But here's the deal. Uh, the, the, the word or phrase that I would use to, to describe my dad was tell me. Just tell me something about life. But the main thing I wanted to hear that I never heard, guys, was this phrase. I love you. <laughs> the crazy thing is when I was young, I would say that to my dad. I'd love you. And he'd say something like this. Likewise. Or your mom and I love you too. But I never heard personally from my father. He, like he never grabbed my face. He never said anything. He never looked at me and said, Bill, I love you. I'm the, you know, none of that. Just sort of a distant. I knew he liked me, but it was weird. I just kind of left home with this vacuum in my soul of kind of wanting to hear that. And so it wasn't until I was 30 years old and I was attending Dallas Theological Seminary. There was two older men in their 70s who made a reference to their dads and the impact of an earthly father on how you relate to your heavenly father. And they said it's a direct correlation because much of the intimacy you would experience with your heavenly father is directly correlated to your earthly father. And they said until you've reconciled that relationship, uh, you may have difficulty experiencing intimacy with God. And I remember going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's, that's a little far out there for me. And I was trying to wrestle with that. And so one of the things one of these guys told me to do, a guy named Dr. Howard Hendricks, which is one of the guys that was sharing this, said, why don't you go to the library and sit down and just write some questions that you want to ask your dad. And I remember even when he said that, I went, I don't know if I want to ask him anything. Because I used to ask him, and I never got any answers, so I don't really have any desire to ask my dad anything. Because I know nothing's going to come out of his mouth. Now, just by the way I thought about that, you see that? I went to the library, I started writing questions down, and it was stuff like this. I started, and I'm telling you guys, it was weird. Questions started flooding my mind. Dad, why did you marry Mom? What did you like about her when you met her? Are you glad you did it? Why did you decide to do what you did? Have you ever been afraid of doing something? There's something you wish you would have done but didn't do. What was it like to play football at University of Arkansas? And just, I mean, a litany of questions. And here's the deal, guys. I had no idea what the answers were. None. It was almost like I lived parallel lives with my dad. Parallel, him here, me here, for 18 years, but on separate tracks. Never on the same. And so I totally missed my dad. I missed him. Because once I left, I was gone. And all of a sudden, here I am, 30 years old, sitting in a library. And as I started writing these questions, there became this deep longing in my heart. Realizing there's a part of my life that's sitting back there in Idaho as I'm in Dallas, Texas in a library. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to go get it. 
And so I remember I came home and I was very emotional. I walked into her little apartment and my wife uh, looked at me, my new bride at the time, she looked at me and she said, what's the matter? What's the matter with you? And I just started bawling, guys. I started, and I cried for like 45 minutes. I'm not kidding you. And this is, this is all I said. As soon as I said, I started crying. I said, I miss my dad. Because I missed my dad. I just started bawling. Amazing. So after that, I, my wife and I decided, you know, you need to go get him. And so about a month later, I scheduled a trip up there, her and I, to go visit my folks. My dad at the time was 67 years old, just retired, still had about five pins in his front pocket. Uh, he'd uh, go about a day or two without shaving, so he kind of walked around. He looked like a bum, really. And, um, but he was my dad. I love my dad. And so I... Um, went up there and we spent the whole week together and it was one of those things guys every time I'd get a moment and in my heart here's what I wanted to say this is all I wanted to say I want to say hey dad I just want to thank you for being my dad and I just want to tell you that I love you and then I wanted to kiss him that was it I just wanted to kiss my dad isn't that amazing and um, so every time I'd get there my heart would start beating and sometimes we'd be alone around there, and I'd just go, bruh, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Ah, I'm just terrified. Which tells you right there, something's wrong. And so it was the very end of our trip. He was literally taking us back to the airport. And as he was taking us, he said, I want to go to Sam's club and get some things and, and to get a vacuum cleaner belt that's broken on our vacuum cleaner. And so he was dropping us off. We had about a four-hour time gap between when he's dropping us off and going to the airport and I said dad you gonna go do your errands and he said no I'm not gonna go do it and I said listen I got time I mean I got a couple hours why don't let's go do it together and he goes okay so he pulls out the keys from his pocket and hands them to me and he said let's go you drive and all of a sudden I felt like I was on a date with my dad <laughs> we go out we get in the car and we start driving, and I'm thinking to myself, and I can feel it. And you know what was crazy? I knew he felt it. It was invisible at the time. Because men have a different vocabulary for love, don't we? For women, it's face-to-face. -face. I love you. For men, it's side-to-side. -side. It's being in a hunting blind or throwing a football together or whatever. That's almost how men, that's their vocabulary. And there we were sitting in this car, and you could feel it. But it's still that intimacy needed to be breached. And so we went to a vacuum cleaner place and found these vacuum cleaner belts. And I remember we were sitting there looking at all these belts and just me and dad talking about various things. And then we went to Sam's Club and we were walking around and showing him all these places to buy things in bulk. And, and all of a sudden I said, Dad, uh, I got to go. And boy, my dad just got real quiet. And I got quiet. We walked out those big cement concrete aisles, walked out the glass doors under the black tarmac of the parking lot. And I walked, just not saying a word. And uh, got the keys to his car, opened up his car door, and I said, Dad, man, I'm telling you, it is really great to be with you. Boy, I just, my heart was just starting to melt. And I could tell he was there too. And, but yet, but you know, it's like this. And all of a sudden, my dad sits in the front seat of his car, 
and I hand him the keys and I'm thinking, if I close this car door and don't do what I came to do, I will regret it. So here's what I did. I leaned down in the front seat of that car, I leaned down in and I kissed my dad right on the lips. Bam! And I said, Dad, I love you so much. I miss you. Oh, my dad, he didn't say anything. Because he sat there, and I mean just wept. Just bawled. And I bawled. I'm sitting, we're both sitting there, and I'm like, whoa. It's like that. I'm in the parking lot, and he's sitting there. Whoa. So that's what happened. And all of a sudden, my dad looked up to me with tears in his eyes. And he said this. He goes, Billy, I love you too. God. And here's what I realized. My dad was still a little boy waiting for somebody to tell him. That's what I realized. And all of a sudden, in a moment, when I kissed him, this part of him just came out. I'm telling you, every time from that day, he lived five more years. Guys, every time I showed up, I'd get off an airplane, come home, drive up to his carport, get out of my car. My dad would see me. Boom, he'd just start bawling. And he would grab me, hug me, kiss me. Like, Dad, man. <laughs> but you know what? All these years, he needed it too. So tell you guys, you got to go get your dad. You might be surprised if you just try it. Okay? And then uh, uh, the idea of blessing. Maybe you, uh, you're not sure what your dad thinks about you. If you've done anything worthwhile, um, maybe... Uh, you never heard you know you're the man because you know I've discovered that men need other men to cheer for them namely your father remember Jesus needed to hear it this is my son with whom I'm well pleased and so maybe you can go ask your dad dad what do you think of me really I'm curious what do you think of me what do you think about who I married I remember, uh, again, with my father, uh, during the course of the next five years, one day we, when I was visiting, we went out to southeastern Idaho in the desert where we used to shoot rabbits as kids growing up. We were overlooking the Snake River Valley where they grow all the potatoes. I remember my dad sat there in his car and he said, son, I remember he just, you could tell he wanted to say it, he just, it was his own word, but he said, I'm proud of you. I hear people talking about you a lot, I'm just proud of you. Because let me tell you, when I came into ministry, guys, out of college, after going to, getting a college degree, my dad thought, I'm wasting my life. He could not figure it out. And for years, couldn't figure it out. Uh, I don't know if my dad had a connection with Christ or not. We talked a lot about it. But when, he, when I heard that, at least I saw in him a sense of respect, which is what he, I wanted from him. Then he said, Terry, he said, she's a peach. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I said, great, thanks, Dad, I appreciate that. But you know what? A blessing, as good as he can do. <clears throat> okay, uh, number five here, guys. Be one who finds a greater love from a father that no earthly father can give. <clears throat> In other words, you've got to come to a time and a place where you've got to go on without your dad. You gotta be your own man 
because all the answers in life can't be found in your dad. Uh, remember, he's a temporary provision, but not the eternal answer. Your father popped into life about 25, 30 years probably before you. In the landscape of human history and in all eternity, that's a blip on the screen. Those lines are very close. And I think when we all get to heaven, if, because not everybody's going, but if you do, and you stand before God as your father, then here's the deal, guys. I think we're going to look around and go, you know what? My dad was just a little boy who never became a man. But you know what? I've got to be a responsible man and realize that the solution for my life is not found in this guy who just popped in life a little bit before me. But I can find life in a father who maybe in some degree get, can give life to this guy. Who's just before me a bit. Does that make sense? And I've told my boys there's two things I can't do for them. First thing I told them, I said, I can't forgive you of your sin because you haven't offended me. And second of all, I can't raise you from the dead because I'm not God. But here's the deal, guys. I told him, but my father will. Just like he raised his son, he will raise you if you believe in what his son did for you. And that's my journey with my boys. Because I'm not the eternal answer, but God is. And that's where we come to a place, guys, where the real father is God, who was the one who said, I am the way. He is the one who said, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me. He is the one who the Apostle Paul said, in him, this God, my father, in him, I live, move and have my being. And that's where you'll ultimately find life. And then lastly, become a responsible father. Reclaim the relationship you missed. So become a responsible father. So you got to break the cycle by moving toward your dad. And so don't repeat history. Remember we talked about this generational sin? Guys, you can stop that. You can stop that by stepping into life relationally with this one man who perhaps if he did the best he could, but maybe it was out of ignorance, maybe it was even evil, but you move into that guy and you reconcile with him either by forgiving him, asking for forgiveness, Seeking a blessing, seeking a sense of, hey, I love you. Whatever it is, here's the deal, guys. Go get it. It may be a little messy, but you know what? That's why men go to war. Because we are able to do this. In fact, you must do this if you've not done it before. Maybe some of you guys are sitting here and you're going, you know what? My dad was, love my dad. Here's what, here's what you need. You need to tell him. I've heard all kinds of stories, cool things guys have done with their dads. But guys, all I can tell you is go get your dad. Take him away for a weekend. Go invite him for dinner. Uh, go over to his house. Uh, write him a letter. Write a tribute. He'll tell you, Dad, I want to thank you. Remember, honor. One of the commandments, honor your mother and your father so that your days may be prolonged. If you want a long life, guys, do this. Honor your mom and dad. Even if your dad wasn't a good dad, here's one thing you can do is say, God, you use that man to bring me into existence. And so in honoring an earthly father, you're honoring God. 
Whatever it is, go do it.